What's up, freaks? It's your boy Marty here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. Uh, keep it short. I had the immense pleasure of sitting down with Michael Krieger, uh, Liberty Blitz on Twitter, founder of LibertyBlitzKrieg.com, somebody whose content I've been getting a lot of value out of for the last almost a decade, and uh, somebody I've been waiting patiently to have a conversation with for quite some time. I was holding out to do it in person, but since the virus is sweeping the world, I figured uh, we might as well do a remote episode because I think Michael's thoughts in these trying times are are very valuable. This is actually a very positive and optimistic episode, so I think you guys are going to like it. This episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by the Cash App. You freaks know all about them. They're helping us stack sats. They're helping us stack slivers of stonks if we want to, and they're helping us with their boost program on the sat side. Uh, you can buy sats, buy sats, stack sats, excuse me, sell sats, receive sats, send sats, and now they're making sats to standard. If you have an Android phone, uh, you should be able to toggle and make it so sats are the standard. It's pretty incredible. On top of that, it seems like they're going to be rolling out auto buy feature uh, soon, trademark, and uh, yeah, stack sats on the Cash App. And now with Cash App investing, you can also stack slivers of stonks. If you are buying the dip in these trying times, as the markets are going crazy, as the coronavirus shuts down the world, uh, your your, uh, favorite company is on sale, but it's still a bit too expensive. You can buy as little as $1 uh, using Cash App investing. You stack a sliver of that stock, and because uh, Cash App is directly connected to your bank account, there are no four to five day waiting periods. You can start investing today. Uh, Cash App investing uh, is a square the Square subsidiary and member SIPC. Um, so if you download the Cash App, if you haven't done it already, make sure you use the code STACKINGSATS. That's S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. One word, you're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. <laughs> download the Cash App today, and please forgive my early morning uh, a podcast ad voice about to record with Rodolfo Novak. He's the only only person I'd wake up uh, very early for to record a podcast. So we're about to rip it. I think you guys will enjoy that too. Enjoy this episode with Michael Krieger. I had an immense pleasure sitting down with him. And again, very optimistic and positive after having sat down with Michael. Enjoy. Okay. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here. Very excited for this episode. Sitting down with somebody I've been reading for, geez, almost a decade now, it feels like. Definitely seven or eight years. As somebody's inspired me to start writing and uh, is one of my favorite warriors for freedom in the digital age. Uh, I'd like to introduce you, freaks, to Michael Krieger, founder of Liberty Blitz Craig. Oh, Marty, thanks. That's such a nice introduction. Like, um, I, want, I want a lot of people to understand the one of the biggest purposes of me doing what I do, writing, tweeting, all that stuff, you know, it's not 
for money, obviously, because you don't really make any. Um, it's to try to inspire other people to question their, their lives, what they're doing, how they see the world, so that then they can repurpose their own skill sets um, towards essentially ushering a new era, a new world, a better world, which is, I think, what all Bitcoiners want. We all know um, how completely messed up this world is. Otherwise, we wouldn't be involved in this game. So we're all, you know, we're not just early, right? I think Bitcoiners are not just early adopters to Bitcoin. I think we're early awakeners, right? Like we're early to the whole game um, and how the whole game needs to change. So it's, 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 it's bigger than Bitcoin. I mean, we, we recognize Bitcoin is key, right, to this transformation, but it's obviously a lot bigger than just that. It's everything. No, I completely agree. And again, thank you for all of your writings over the years. They've helped me. And I fell down the rabbit hole of Liberty Blitzkrieg uh, after the after the 08 uh, crisis. And you sort of illuminated, like you just mentioned, my eyes to uh, the messed up parts of our society, mainly the banking system and uh, the security apparatus and the government that we're subjected to. And it seems like we're in uh, a very similar time, particularly right now today, as uh, the, the as Congress is passing a quote-unquote care bill, um, a, a, another bailout, it seems. Um, and it seems like this may be another inflection point where uh, more people are, are awoken to the fact that we live in a very corrupt system. But... Uh, we're going to get into a lot of things in this episode, but let's start with something that you've been passionate about since you started writing, which is the gold markets. And it seems like there may be, uh, finally, this has been talked a lot forever in, uh, talked about a lot forever in the, the gold world is the uh, disconnection between the, the physical bullion market and the paper claims market. Uh, a lot of gold bugs seem to believe that the paper claims market sort of holds down the price of physical bullion. And it seems that... Uh, I don't know whether it's because people can't transport gold due to the lockdowns caused by the virus or if there's a, a, a material decoupling going on because too many people are demanding physical gold. But it seems like there is uh, a wedge being driven between the physical bullion price and the paper claims price. Yeah. So just a little background on me, because probably a lot of your listeners don't know. You know, I was I was on Wall Street for 10 years. Um, so I'm quite a bit older than you, Marty, um, from 2000 to 2010, when I, when I resigned. I was a commodities guy that whole time. I was an oil analyst in equity research at Lehman Brothers and then at Sanford Bernstein. I was a commodities desk trading analyst. So I covered all the commodities, macro stuff, et cetera. Um, so, you know, when the financial crisis hit, I was still on Wall Street on a trading desk. And, and when I saw the theft that was going on to benefit people like me, that's when I became quote unquote radicalized. You know, that, that's, when, that's when my entire perspective on everything, including my career, my success, the money I was making came into focus and I changed my entire life <laughs> within a year or so. You know, I quit, moved to Colorado all in 2010. It was a lot of changes. But the, the thing is back then, this was pre-Bitcoin, right? I mean, 2008, 2009, the crisis was, was, was pre-Bitcoin. And um, so to me, right, you go to gold, you know, to, to, to sort of voice your displeasure with the monetary system. That was gold or silver. That was the way to do it. So, so whereas a lot of your listeners probably discovered a lot of things through Bitcoin, right? How things work, started questioning it by digging into Bitcoin. I, I come from a little bit of a different perspective because I knew how rotten it was before Bitcoin. And then, and then I was in a little bit of a, a dark place, right? Because I couldn't see a way out. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't imagine 
um, what the what the new world could look like, right? Because because gold obviously wasn't going to replace everything. We moved too far into the digital world, so that when Bitcoin came out, and I finally really took the time to dig into it in 2012, then I then it was like that changed my life because I I could get out of the dark hole because I saw an alternative. I saw a digital alternative. And I saw the genius of it. And so for me, it was like Bitcoin was what I'd been waiting for for years and it just appeared. And then I just got, got all into it. So, so, but to go back to gold, right? Since I've been following it for so long, more than a decade, pretty closely, you know, probably since 2007 when I was on Wall Street, as you mentioned, yes, there's, there's, this, there's this idea which I uh, adhere to um, that the, the, the um, keeping the, the price of, of gold, right? Um, down is a key to maintaining the financial system and the supremacy of the U.S. fiat dollar. Uh, I believe that is correct. Um, what's interesting about right now is that for, for 10 years, you always do hear people saying, oh, well, like the physical market's tight or it's so tight, it's going to break down, everything's going to break down, but it never does, right? It never does. But there does seem to be something different about what's going on now. I think there's two things to be aware of. First of all, in the past, you mostly heard coins being tight, right? Like you couldn't buy gold coins and all that. That's interesting, but not going to break the system. What, what matters is 100 ounce bars, 400 ounce bars, stuff like that. Like that needs to get tight for it to really matter. Okay. And so what happened earlier this week is at the COMEX, 100 ounce bars, there was a failure to deliver. Um, and so now what they want to do at the CME is introduce a new contract where you can settle with 400 ounce uh, Boolean bars from the LBMA in London, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, now there's a few things to be aware of here. Um, uh, as you mentioned, right, refineries and production of gold is shut down in a lot of ways. So of course that's gonna impact, right, the, 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 the supply of this stuff. But here's the weird thing. If that's the case, okay, if all of a sudden there is tightness in supply, what is the market supposed to do? Market's supposed to go up in price. You go up in price to clear the market, right? You don't just freeze a market. And it seems that the gold market's sort of freezing right now, right? There's, the deals aren't getting done in the way that they're to meet demand, which, which, which means there's no market, right? There's no real market for, for precious metals because the price is fake. So, so we seem to be at an interesting inflection point. Now, I don't want to overplay this because people do overplay this all the time, right? We don't know yet how this is going to play out, but it's got my attention. It's got my attention in a real way that hasn't for a long, long time. So I think pay attention. This guy, Roy Seabag, which I've been uh, retweeting today. So he's, uh, he's, he's part of gold money. Right, which, which buys physical for its customers and stores them in vaults overseas, right? I think Europe and Asia. He's a great resource right now because he is actually buying physical bars for customers as we speak. And what he said today was that he, was a, he had 100 million to buy. He was able to get it, but he can't get more than that, what he wants. He, he, and so he's actually asking, you know, if you're a Boolean bank, if, you're, if, you, if you've got bars, I'm in the market. Right. But he's saying he, he's, he's having trouble getting supply. So and I and, you know, he has no you can say, oh, the guy runs a gold company and all that. But I don't I don't take him as someone who's going to who's going to lie about this. I mean, your credibility is just totally shot. His, he runs a business. He's a public person. He's not an anonymous guy just blogging about it. Right. Um, and he's actually in the physical market. So I take what he says seriously. So we'll see how this plays out. But but what I want to point out is that you know, and this is important for Bitcoiners too. I know a lot of Bitcoin people don't like gold. I'm personally a fan of owning both. 
Um, but I, while accepting that Bitcoin is the genuine revolution, right? I mean, that is the revolution, but, but you should still own gold in my opinion. But the key is this, this affects everything. Because if, if, the, if the gold market um, actually is an inflection point where things really start getting disruptive and changing, it will, it'll, it'll, it'll wake people up to Bitcoin too. It'll wake, it'll wake up a whole new generation of people to what is going on. Can you even imagine 99.9% .9 of the world has never thought about gold for more than two seconds in their lives, right? All of a sudden, what if the gold market just blows up? <laughs> I mean, you're going to red pill so many people because of that. Well, what would that blow up look like? It would just be a complete collapse of the paper claims market and physical bullion would skyrocket in price. Right. So it's, it's hard. It's hard to say. So right now, as I mentioned, there doesn't seem to be um, anyone really making a market in the physical market. Okay. So I think one of the ways it could look is that, yes, um, you get people actually making a market for bars. So like, let's say someone like Roy is like, okay, we're in the market. You know, how much do you want for the bar? You know, maybe he, maybe he does it. Maybe he fills that. And then, you can, and then you can actually have a physical bar market that's trading at a price that is disconnected from the paper market. That's possible. There are a lot of ways you, could, you, can, have, you can have all sorts of paper markets blow up. You can have the whole entire derivatives market blow up. It's really, it's beyond my uh, comfort zone to speculate specifically how it, it, it'll go down, but, but it will be a domino, right? I mean, if you, if you think coronavirus as a domino, which I do, Right? It's like the first kind of domino to start tipping in the, in the financial system and the geopolitical environment as well, by the way. Um, you know, something in the gold market could be another domino and then another domino, right? I mean, it's the whole thing, as I think you uh, concur, is, is the financial system globally uh, is a racket, right? It's, it's, it's just, it's just a f made of phantom prices. And what I like to talk about a lot I recently did this in another interview, and I don't think people think about this as much, but the U.S. is actually, people think it's this military empire. I actually think it's an industrial empire, but it's really a financial empire since 1970, right? Financialization took over um, with the fiat USD. And so the way that the U.S. actually exerts power, of course, it has a strong, big military everywhere, but it, has to, it can't pay for all those bases without the fiat reserve USD, right? So we have a financial empire that relies on this reserve currency. And so, you know, if, if gold starts exposing a bit of the racket in the financial system, you can expect more dominoes to fall after. So that's why I'm, that's one of the reasons I'm paying attention. Yeah. And just diving into what you just described there, the, the financialization of our economy over the last five decades uh, has led to some weird situations like our supply chain has been completely globalized. We're not industrial anymore. And we're finding as uh, this virus slows down the economy, that's leaving us pretty vulnerable in a vulnerable spot. We, we have no local strength, if you will. Uh, and then on top of that, as uh, we have financialized the economy, this has pissed people off. We have weaponized our, our monetary system and the financial system. And it seems like countries like Russia and China may be posturing to move away from that, which could be another domino that, uh, that falls uh, because of because of this virus and the, and the slowdown in the global economy, things are fucked, man. And it's and so that's what we were discussing before we hit record. There is a bailout that just got passed through Congress. I believe it still has to go to the House and get signed officially, but uh, it got passed with unanimous by in a unanimous fashion, uh, which you said is never a good sign. 
it seems like they're trying to paper over the systemic problems that exist. Do you think they can do it again after 08? Yeah. Okay. So that's exactly right. Like as we were talking about earlier, um, I see this. Okay. First of all, I see the entire 21st century is just trash, right? For the U.S. Like complete uh, dystopian garbage. Um, from 9-11, right? I mean, for me, 9-11 was very personal. You know, I'm a New York City kid, grew up in Manhattan. I worked on Wall Street. I was there, Three World Financial Center on September 11th. I saw the first tower come down, like in person. Saw the second one um, as I was, actually I saw, no, I saw one come down in person, one from television. But, um, but anyway, it was a very personal moment. And um, I, I saw how my government abused me afterwards. Because in the aftermath of that being, being so personal, I got very emotional. You know, I was one of those people like, oh, we got, you know, we got to get those terrorists. We got anything, go, you know, let's just do this. And then years later, when I started really sort of figuring out some discrepancies with that story and also witnessing how quickly we were stripped of civil liberties, um, I got very angry. You know, that was like the first, well, that was one of the early steps of sort of me changing as well, is realizing how, how clearly my own government um, or the people that control the government um, intentionally, emotionally abused, used my uh, vulnerability to take advantage of me. Um, and then, they, so they weren't able to do that in a way, right? But that was the next crisis where they consolidated power, right? And you've seen, okay, the, 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 the proof is in the pudding, okay? When you, when you see levels of wealth inequality skyrocketing because financial assets and real estate bubbled up like crazy again, and the people who are um, who have access to cheap money are just making leveraged bets on that at the lows. Um, you 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 see the results, okay? You you forget you know these statistics of you know GDP or average this or average doesn't matter, right? What matters is like is like what's the median? You know how's the median person doing? You know, and you see life expectancy has been dropping, birth rates are at multi-decade lows, suicides through the roof. Um, yes, of course, like certain people are prospering, but, 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 but a lot of people are in a depression, right? 50% of the country has probably been in a depression for the last 10 years. Nobody, can, nobody talks about them, right? Journalists don't talk about them, right? They just, they just interview, you know, hedge fund billionaires. It's pathetic. Um, you know, so, so here we are at the third, right? The third big moment um, crisis of this century. And what, what the establishment, right, the oligarchy is attempting to do is further consolidate power. And as I mentioned to you before we recorded, this is what power does, right? We're an empire, okay, and an oligarchy. I call it the imperial oligarchy, which means um, power, there's great power, great wealth, but it's concentrated into a few hands and those hands run the country in various ways. Um, so what are they going to do in a crisis? Of course, they're not going to reform, right? I always say empires don't reform, they collapse. There's a reason for that is because they don't ever get a wake up call, right? Right. Cause, cause if they, if they're, if their last two attempts to consolidate power and pillage worked without, without response, right? If they, if they were able to keep things together while, while pillaging and, and consolidating power, of course, they're going to go for it again. So right now we're, where they're going for it again. Here's where I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for two reasons. First, the system is way more fragile, way more Ponzi-ish than it was then because they just built another Ponzi over a Ponzi over a Ponzi. But secondly, it's generational, right? I mean, I'm sure all, all your listeners are familiar with like the 80-year cycle outlined in, in the fourth turning. Um, you know, and that's really important. Like, so for you, for example, you're quite a bit younger than me. So when I think you mentioned during the financial crisis, you were in college. Okay, you, have no vo you had no voice at all, right? You're just a college kid reading my stuff. Well, guess what? Now you have a voice, right? 
You do, you have a big voice and not just you, but a lot of people like you. So I think that there is a capacity now to push back and we have Bitcoin, right? We have, we have things we can, we can do. So, so there's a capacity to push back in a way that, that didn't exist then, right? Like I'm a Gen X, you know, almost a millennial, but basically late, very late Gen X. And I was one of the few people, you know what I mean? I was like screaming into the wilderness. I feel like I have a lot of allies now, you know, and a lot of allies that are younger than me that weren't around and didn't have a voice. So, you know, let's do this, right? Let's, let's do it. Let's raise hell. Let's act. Let's do whatever the heck we can. And I think, I think we can, we can actually, we can actually use this, right? They say never let a crisis go to waste. We should take that to heart, right? We should not let this go to waste. No, I agree. And I think, the, I mean, what they're trying to push through right now is definitely going to piss a lot of people off. Our boy Rudy Havenstein tweeted out uh, a Wall Street on Parade article, which highlighted one of the sections, uh, and the, the powers that they're trying to give the Fed are, are pretty ridiculous. The text of the final bill was breathtaking in the breadth of new powers it bestowed on the Federal Reserve, including the Fed's ability to conduct secret meetings with no minutes provided to American people. And this is one of the my favorite topics that you always talk about is the two-tier justice system and the, the basically black box that is given to the fed and the powers that be and the uh we are we plebs are subjected to to all the law all the laws by the letter of the rule where they are allowed to just do whatever they want behind closed doors and like you said uh every crisis they try to consolidate more power and consolidate more power and especially after the last 12 years the fed's reaction to 08 like it's going to be hard to believe that they can fix anything going forward, considering how bad they messed up uh, the the response to 08. We're, we're already right back where we were. And now they just want to consolidate power more and not tell anybody what they're doing and just bail out the banks and give money to the banks without any recourse at all. Right. So so this is the, one of the key things that I've been trying to um, get across recently. I, I wrote about it in my repo article. And I wrote about it this past, my, my latest article, which was titled Power Grab. Um, the, the Fed, right, we, we like to talk a lot about, oh, this is what the Fed's doing and this is what I think it's going to lead to. Fine, right? But that's small picture stuff, right? We should always be big picture here because the, the, the system itself, right, like the, the, the way power functions is the key. If we don't understand how power functions, we can never fight back against power and create a better system because you're just going to constantly be fighting for scraps, right? Which is what most politicians do. Most mainstream um, uh, political movements are basically like, oh, please let me have some scraps, right? Like raising taxes, right? That's just going for scraps. It's keeping the system in place, but like, let me have some food off the table. That's not, that's not real, right? That's, that's just being a slave. So, so with the Fed, it's the same thing. Why, why does the Fed exist like it does, okay? Now, personally, I don't think we need a central bank. I know you liked my tweet last week where I was saying that, you know, from, from 1842 to 1913, the U.S. had no central bank and we had a booming economy, right? Railroads, like all sorts of stuff. Car was invented, uh, we don't fl flight, right? So, so, so um, we don't, in my opinion, we don't need a central bank. But, but, but these are the questions we should be asking, right? Do we need a central bank? Is it necessary? Okay, fine. Let's say you think we do, okay? Well, certainly there's no justification for a central bank acting like this one does, right? Like if, if you're gonna have a central bank and you're saying it's in the national interest, then there should be public debate over everything that the Fed does because the Fed is throwing trillions of dollars around, right? They, they, that's what they're doing. But they just do it, right? They, they just act. They don't have to ask anybody. They just do stuff. 
And this is where, you know, this is a big red pill, I think, for someone, if we can get it across to them. Like a lot of people, their eyes glaze over when, when you start talking about, oh, the, the, this is how the Fed does things, this is what it, why don't you just ask them, listen, we have a, we have a central bank, right, that's in charge of the US currency and creating it, right? And um, well, the banks create currency too, but, but you know what I'm saying, like high powered, like, right? Um, why is there no public oversight really? You know, why, why, why is there no debate on what they're doing, right? Shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't that be something that the public gets to decide on? Like, shouldn't the public be able to say, hey, if you're printing 2 trillion, send me 2 trillion worth of checks or let's build high-speed rail or whatever. Like th these are decisions that should be, you know, the public should be consulted on if we're going to allow that kind of power because this is the greatest power that there is, right? So that's, that's what I, I really want to get across. We should be questioning the entire apparatus. Yeah, well, I think uh, Neil Kashkari on Sunday really fucked up by admitting that the, the Fed has unlimited cash that they can print. And that had people start to question, well, if you have unlimited cash, why do we pay taxes at all? Why don't you just print the money? Ex exactly. Like, why, why do we pay taxes? And also, where, where, where you, who gives you the authority to just make these calls? <laughs> you just, anytime, you know, and, and look, uh, one of the things that I, I wrote this piece all the way back, I think, in t to 2013, it was called uh, The Stock Market, Food Stamps for the 1%, where I was explaining that the stock market going up, like people have been conditioned, right, stupidly, to think that the stock market going up is good for them, or it means the economy is good. Or, but it, but, that's, but that's, that's rubbish, right? That's just not true. First of all, you have to ask who owns most stocks. Uh, second of all, you have to ask, why is the stock market going up? Right. Like in certain periods of history, um, let's say the railroads are being created. OK, the world is changing in a fundamentally good way, I would say. Right. And you get a boom. Right. Or the automobile or something like that. Um, you know, and so innovation is changing the world and you probably get a stock market boom. But stock market booms aren't always like that. So the last 10 years, right? Like I, I wrote this tweet. I said, 2010, 2020 was bullshit. Like the whole thing was bullshit, right? And I believe that. I mean, tell me what, what amazing, other than Bitcoin, right? Other than Bitcoin, what amazing innovation that really changed your life, like in such a wonderful way happened over that decade. I mean, cer certain things, but I get, but really no. I mean, I, you know, it's, it was mostly, bubble asset prices going up because it wasn't just stocks, it was bonds, it was real estate. Um, and the beneficiaries of that, you see it again, the proof is in the pudding, the bene primary beneficiaries of that are people who own assets and, and particularly people who own assets with leverage, right? You borrow and right. The only, the only experience most people have with this, and this is something you need, you know, most, most of your listeners probably realize, but you need to think about it. the most, mo, mo, only the only potential for an average person to, to make money off leverage is buying a home, right? Cause you're borrowing, uh, let's usually 80% of the value, um, putting down 20% equity. And then if it goes, if it goes up 50%, you're not making, you know, 50%, you're making much more than that. Cause you, you if you sell, because you use leverage, but here's the problem, right? Most people that buy a home, and they make those big gains still need to live somewhere. So if you sell your home, you gotta go put it into another home that's also risen in price. But if you're a financial speculator, right? Or if you're one of these guys that use left, right? That have excess money, right? You're not buying your primary residence, but you're buying like Blackstone did, right? After everyone got kicked out of their homes, you're, you're, you're borrowing and you're buying thousands of homes, okay? Across the country, then renting them out. Um, that's how you can make that's how you that's how you make real money.
right? Because you're, you're using a huge amount of leverage and you're speculating on assets. And so people need to understand that is essentially the economic model of the United States and the oligarchy. Yeah, it's how Warren Buffett, that's one of his plays too. Berkshire Hathaway has that, that huge real estate business as well. Um, and I, I want to go back to uh, the sort of black box nature of uh, the system and bring Bitcoin into it. Cause I, I was talking about this the, the other week or the other day, excuse me on Twitter. Like my favorite Bitcoin meme of all time is Bitcoin sign guy, because he's holding up by Bitcoin behind Janet Yellen while the, the headline under her is uh, you cannot, we will not have the fed audited or something like that. The fed cannot be audited and just the juxtaposition of buy Bitcoin, which is audited every 10 minutes. If you're running a node, running a full node, you can audit it from your computer, from, from the comfort of your own home. And I think that's very important to help people sort of wake up to the fact that, hey, we can have a better system that is more transparent and you can participate in. But I think it's how, people are so confused right now. Like, like you mentioned, they don't even understand uh, what the Federal Reserve is or how it operates what do you think we need to do to do you think and that's something you were tweeting yesterday too you need to speak to the people who are open to these ideas and that's i think that's something that's frustrating for me is that you just want to shake people but uh, people just seem to not want to understand yeah exactly and and you know so this sort of plays into my series on spiral dynamics and human consciousness and how important that is to actually uh building a, a better world why I think this moment is so crucial and why I'm actually optimistic this time, um, you know, not three months from now, right? But like three years from now is that I know these moments are the moments where you can expand consciousness. You can also go the other way, right? But these are the great moments where, you know, you, you're shaking to your core, right? Or a lot of people are, right? Because everyday life has been suspended. Okay, so, so people are at home, right? People have extra time to read. People are wondering, wait a minute, like should the healthcare system work this way? Like what's gonna happen to me if I get COVID, right? Things like that um, with money, like wait, two trillion, wait, what? I get a thousand dollar check? You know, so, so this, is the, this is the time where um, people like us, okay, are gonna be really important. Not as um, beating people over the head with, you know, don't be a sheep, but instead, which is why I'm really trying hard to be more sort of like um, encouraging in, in, my, in my tweets and my writing, because I don't want, you know, to, to, to make people fearful. I want, I want to make people realize that, and I truly believe this, um, and I think it's clear that it's the case, humanity in general is completely shackled, okay, intentionally, uh, systemically, okay? The, the systems we have in place are designed to uh, keep humans um, outside of their potential, outside of their capacity, uh, via, via debt, um, via propaganda, uh, okay? The whole thing is set up to keep people um, working the plantation, essentially, and not thinking too much. So what I think is gonna happen now is this is an opportunity for million, hundreds of millions, if not billions, potentially, of people to open their minds. And I think their minds are open right now and they are, and they are looking for answers um, and, or they are looking for people that are asking the right questions. And so we, right, our job is to be there for them, right? In, in, a, in, a, in, a, in as a optimistic, I think, way as possible, you know, saying, listen, there's no reason we have to live this way. There really isn't, you know, there's no reason we have to live under a system like this. 
And I do fundamentally believe that the only reason the system sustains itself, it's not because, look, empires always come and go. Governments always come and go. Nothing lasts forever, right? You always think it's gonna, right? But it doesn't, you know, like the worst, the most totalitarian regimes end at some point, right? They always do. So this is gonna end. The key is to, is to, is to create what's next in a good way, right? In a better way. And the only way we're gonna do that is if we're not operating out of fear, but we're operating out of sort of um, optimism and also there's reason to be optimistic. It's not crazy, again, because, because there's no reason we have to live this way. So I think for us to be able to explain to people, hey, you know, this is, this is essentially how the system works. Um, there are alternatives, right? Bitcoin was created, okay, in a very thoughtful, conscious way, not just to fight back against the system, but in, a way, in the right way. Right. And I always like to say with Bitcoin, you know, it's not, I, I know a lot of people say Bitcoin solves this Bitcoin, you know, I'm, that's not really my thing. I think Bitcoin is more of the teacher, right? I think it's a teacher. It's, it's, it can teach us how to apply, right? So, so if you take the lessons of Bitcoin and apply, you can apply them to everything. Okay. It, it, everything in society. Okay. Nobody is in charge. Nobody is in control. It's for the people, um, the persons, right. Or people, whatever, Satoshi who created it, gifted it to mankind. And in the process, you know, has, has a lot of Bitcoin worth a lot of money, but that's not been moved or sold. If I, if I, if I, if that's still correct. Um, still correct. Right. So still correct. So, so look, look at that, right. That was, that was, that was a gift to, to mankind, to mankind. And it shows us that it can be done right? Not everything needs to be patented, right? And controlled. And, you know, it's you people. And the other thing I want to mention, um, you know, which, which a lot of people don't, and this is where I, I actually have a big issue and I haven't written this post yet, but I'm gonna about individualism. And this is where I think libertarians, a lot of, I mean, I'm not one, right? Cause, cause for a lot of reasons. Um, I mean, I, people tend to think I am, but they're just, I think it, libertarians have lost the plot in so many ways. And one of the ways that they've lost it is with this idea of individualism. I'll give you my definition. And I'll give you what I, how I think libertarians tend to see it. A lot of libertarians seem to think like individualism means I, right, or someone else has the right to just, or the destiny to just use my talents to make as much money and power as I can. And nobody, no government, nothing else should be able to stop me. I'm going to be, I'm, I'm so smart and so gifted that I'm going to be king of the world. Okay, and that we shouldn't try to restrain that at all. It's, and then that, it's all going to work out, right? I don't buy that, right? I, I don't think history proves that's correct. <clears throat> My definition of individualism is empowering, right? Sort of like the Thomas Jefferson ideal of the yeoman farmer, right? A nation of like yeoman farmers. The idea behind that was just like independent people, independent Americans, for the most part. Not, 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 not because you don't rely on a community. Of course, community is huge, but be, but because if you're, if you're empowered, right, if you're not a debt slave, if you have the capacity to survive or, or the financial resources to be okay, um, you're a benefit to everybody else, okay? Because you are not, um, uh, you're not as easily manipulated, okay? And so for me, the, the goal is to get as many people, right? Not to have a few handful of talented people with all the money, but get as many people as we can to be empowered individuals, be empowered people, because then they will empower their communities and then they will empower the world, you know? And that's, and that's one of the key things for me, um, of my mission, I guess you could say, uh, is to, is to empower people, right? Uh, yeah. 
No, and I think Bitcoin's an incredible tool to do that, right? It helps us get away from that mindset of conspicuous consumption and uh, having the chase for yield in the stock market and other investment vehicles. It allows us to basically save money and accumulate capital and find that independence that you just described. And uh, yeah, I tend to agree as well. That's one thing that the last 50 years has really destroyed is communities all the way down to the family, the nuclear family level. And this is tearing society apart at its seams and we need to reverse the trend like you mentioned pretty sure after we have record birth rates down uh, opiate addiction up suicides up uh, average american can't afford a 400 hundred dollar emergency expense this is not what strong societies look like and bitcoin can really help reverse that trend that's why i uh, focus on it yeah and, and as you mentioned right i mean and as i was talking about earlier if you are in a precarious life situation, right? If you're in a ton of debt, you can't afford the next bill without your employee. If you can't get healthcare, for example, like linking healthcare to an employer, right? So you have to have a job to get healthcare that's somewhat affordable. Um, again, it's all designed to, 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 to disempower uh, the individual, right? To, to attach you to a system that is pernicious. And I believe, you know, this is 100% intentional. You know, it's not an accident. It's intentional, which is, again, why whenever there's a crisis, the number one priority is not to help people. It's to maintain the, the structure, right? That, that's the only thing that this, um, you know, coup, I'm calling it a coup, corporate coup uh, bill that they just passed is intended to do. It's intended to prop up the system because the system is a system of control and essentially of debt slavery or financial feudalism. Right. So that's all they're trying to do. They're not trying to do anything else other than prop this thing up. And how it was so evil how they sold it. They were saying they were going to get every American who lost their job under a certain tax bracket was going to get $2,000 a month plus 1000 per child. That's how it was sold last week. And now we find out if this bill passes and gets signed into law $1,200 once in May and the, the banks are getting a $2 trillion bailout paid for by the taxpayer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just this gigantic con. You know, like I said, when you have a Senate bill passes 96 to zero, it's you're, you're being conned. You know what I mean? Like every single senator has has made sure to insert their 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 favorite lobbyists provision. That's that's why it passed 96 to zero. Right. They don't they don't work for you, obviously. Um, you know, so so again, you know, look, we, we don't we don't need to live under this. OK, to my point before, um, things always change, you know, the, the, the systems change, monetary systems change, empires change. So there's no reason to think this is not going to happen now too. We just need to make sure that the, that the change we get is a change for the better, you know, and I think that's what everyone involved in Bitcoin wants, um, particularly those, right, who, who have been around, you know, of course we all care about price, right? But I mean, if that's your whole, you know what I mean? If that's your whole, whole thing, um, then, you know, <laughs> I don't think you get it. No, this is not about price at all and i'm pulling a tweet up that you tweeted out earlier this week because i want to talk about this uh basically what we need to move forward and you listed out a bunch of things you've been tweeting out a bunch this week so it's hard to find about localism we need it we need to strive towards localism uh growing our own food yeah i, I mean i can while you look for it i can i can sort of summarize it because i know what you're talking about so what i said is okay this is what we need we need more empowered individuals, less oligarchs, 
Okay, we need more decentralization, less centralization in empire. Um, you know, we need stronger communities, you know, less central, you know, less, less power in DC. And, and, the, and the big thing here is, right, so let, let me try to frame this in, in a way that um, I think is really helpful. Right now, we're at what I hope is the pinnacle of big versus small, right? Big business uh, versus small business. Um, uh, organized oligarchy versus empowered individuals, okay? Where it's such an extreme, right? Like the, the wealth of a small amount because of bubbly asset prices versus the debt of, of others, right? So for example, I'm sure you saw this, but I wrote about it in a recent piece, the sugar babies, right? These college, poor college girls that are in debt, right? And there are these services that are essentially prostituting them out to old men with money, right? Who own the assets. Um, they know that these college girls are broke. And it even like, there's even a bonus that they, right? If you sign up with a .edu, you get some sort of a bonus from these sites, right? I mean, which, 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 which tells you. Sickening. Right? And so, you know, but this, is, but this is the problem, right? Like, how do we accept this, right? How do we accept our, our young daughters being prostituted to old men in a systemic way because they have debt and one, and one group has assets? You know, it's, it's just, it's repulsive, right? And it just shows you how fallen we are as a society. And so, you know, we need to restore this balance, okay? Like at the very least, we need to take the pendulum from over here, which is big, giant megacorps, right? Um, oligarchy, imperial ambition, and swing it as far the other way as we can, okay? And, it, and this applies to all aspects of life, okay? And so obviously, yes, the ethos of Bitcoin is precisely designed to do that, right? I mean, it's, it's still small. I mean, that's the beauty of it, right? It's still small enough that people with real money, right? That want to put real money to work almost can't because you're going to move the price too much, you know? So it gives us, it actually gives the, the public an asymmetric advantage. Our advantage is we don't have that much money. <laughs> so like as a percentage of our money, we can put a decent amount if we wanted to in it, you know, just as a flyer even, and, and hope for, you know, hope for the best, but, but a big, you know, someone can't just, you can't just put in, you know, if you're worth Bloomberg money, 60 billion, you know, what are you going to do? How much of your wealth can you put in? You can't, right? So it's, it's brilliant in that way. Um, and so it, it fits into the whole ethos of this. And, you know, people talk about, oh yeah, well, Bitcoin ownership is very concentrated and all that, but okay, but listen, right? Like I just said, it's one of these rare markets where you can, you can having less money to put to work is actually to your advantage in Bitcoin at this point, because it's still small enough. Yeah, evens the playing field. And it is crazy to think how early we are. And so what? how fast do you think a transition to a Bitcoin world would happen if, if people do wake up? Do you think Bitcoin is ready for the, for the mainstream um, if, if it were to be called upon? Uh, okay, so here's how I see it. Um, first of all, I, I know as a lot of people pointed out, we're at a monumental moment, right? Because the halving is the halving is uh, what, a month away, a month and a half away. Um, and if you look back at prior cycles, you know, I've been involved in it for, for several of them, two of them, two of, two of the halvings now. And it, and it does a similar thing or it's done a similar thing, right? Like the price starts to get better, right? Bottoms before, well before, price starts to get better during, you know, the, ha the halving, but then the real, the real move is the next year, right? So like the giant move was 2017, one year after the halving, in 2016, same thing in two, I think it was the same thing in 2013, right? I think, I think that was the giant spike mm -hmm. after the 2012, yeah. right? Okay, so, so 
as of now, I mean, everyone got so freaked out. Bitcoin has died. I couldn't believe how much of that I was seeing in the 4,000s, right? Like the 3,000s, like all these people all of a sudden were like, it's going to zero. It's dead. I'm like, you, you, you people need to like meditate or something. Like, what are you talking about? Um, it was really weird. But anyway, I saw that from a lot of people, like big accounts too, you know? And I, I, that was just a sign to me. Like so many people were telling me Bitcoin was dead right at the low. Um, and, uh, and, and so, but, but as far as I'm concerned, the cycle looks pretty much in place that we've seen, you know, next year would be the, the, it would be a giant move, um, which starts this year, you know, of course it could, it could, it could be front end loaded. We could get it this year because of the circumstances of the macro environment. But I do think, um, this ties into what I said earlier, which is that we're, we're in a red, we're in a potential red pill moment for the masses. Okay. For, for those that are are not looked into Bitcoin, let's say, right? But, but might all of a sudden, because they're just like, wait, what the, you know, what is going on here, right? Um, you know, and so what really surprised me actually, okay, because I, you know, as you know, I've been in Bitcoin for a while, was I actually didn't really see 2017 coming. I mean, I had, I had, I'm, a, I'm a hodler, of course, but I didn't, you know what I mean? I hadn't been paying so much close attention and it took, took me off guard in a good way that all of a sudden, right, we're, we're, we're like, there's this giant, you know, there's all these people in Bitcoin I never even heard of, right? And they've got these big platforms now and people are coming in and right, there's this whole wave. And I was just sort of just like, whoa, you know, where did this come from, right? But it just came, uh, right? And into 2017, I think that's gonna, gonna happen again, okay? I think, I think we're gonna see a whole nother wave of people, adopters, thinkers, Bitcoin philosophers, whatever, coming in in the next year or two. And is Bitcoin ready? I think so. I mean, I think it's ready for that. Um, you know, I don't know that it's going to necessarily, you know, a lot of people think um, everyone's going to just be using Bitcoin for everything because of lightning and all that. I, I, that, that I don't see, you know, in the, in the near term, you know, maybe in the future. But what I do see um, potentially is it competing globally as some sort of a reserve asset because you know, I've actually, quite frankly, I've been surprised, and maybe it's happened that we don't know about it, but I've been surprised that some of these sanctioned countries haven't used Bitcoin to settle, let's say, commodity transactions. You know, sort of why wouldn't you? Okay, if you're if you're locked out of the USD system, yeah, go ahead, Martin. I was gonna say there's rumors that Venezuela and Russia have used Bitcoin to trade medical supplies and stuff like that. Okay, interesting. Right. So I would be surprised if it didn't happen. Okay. Mm -hmm. the, you know, the the only reason I would I, I would guess that it wouldn't is maybe because you know, statists or statists, okay? So like, a you know, and, and if you look at Russia and China, they've clearly made a bet on gold, right? They're, they're trying to, to use that as the asset to, to increase geopolitical positioning after a reset, right? And they haven't done Bitcoin, I think, partly because, you know, they're, 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 they are statists, <laughs> you know, they, they are also statists. But, but when you think about, like you just said, if, you're, if you actually are locked out of the USD system and you need to, you know, you need to sort of make a market, yeah, you, they probably want to do their own currencies, again, because they're statists. But, but really, I mean, Bitcoin makes sense. And so I think that's going to happen, right? I think it's going to happen at some point. And that'll, and that'll be a huge deal because you can't do it with gold, right? You can't, it's too hard to ship the gold from this and that. I mean, you could do it maybe to like make final settlements, but it's, but it's too hard. The other thing that I want to mention just real quick while, before I forget is, and this is something that I've been saying for a long time, like five, six years, but I think it's going to be an important signpost for when we know Bitcoin is about to fly. And maybe it doesn't happen this cycle, but when people are willing to take a 
big discount if you pay in Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. so, so for example, like I mentioned before, when I made t-shirts in 2013 um, to sell them in Bitcoin, right? I didn't make any profit off of the shirt, right? Like my cost to make the shirt is basically what I sold the short shirt for, okay? But I just wanted the Bitcoin, which turned out to be a smart idea. So that's when I think you're gonna, that's when you think you're gonna know that some sort of a turning point is coming. If someone says, okay, um, here's my apartment. If you pay in dollars, it's a million. If you pay in Bitcoin, it's 900,000, right? That tells you that person wants your Bitcoin. Right, it, it, he because because he's making an upside bet and saying I want real money, and he's also saying, hey, this is easier maybe than than putting nine hundred thousand dollars into Kraken or G right or, or or Coinbase and buying it, right? Just exactly. So I think that's something to, to look out for. You'll you'll know, that, right? Yeah. No, definitely look out for that, and then actually. Outside the podcast and the newsletter, I'm involved with some mining operations on oil fields, and that's actually something that's making me incredibly bullish. Is uh, the oil and gas industry waking up to the fact that they can actually they can actually use Bitcoin uh, to become more efficient? So, especially with climate uh, craziness going on and the emissions laws in place, these oil and gas companies are highly incentivized to be as efficient as possible with their vented and flared gas, which prohibits them from uh, producing oil at the end of the day. If they vent or flare too much, they have to shut down production. Bitcoin allows them to consume that gas and not waste it and lower their emissions uh, and basically profit in, in many ways. They're able to sell that gas. Uh, and if they, uh, not, they're not at this point yet, but I think they will eventually get to the point where in America, at least, oil and gas companies will be the biggest miners as well because it will be a supplementary revenue stream for them on top of their oil sales. So is this related? Like, so that's interesting. I hadn't heard that aspect. Is this related to the, I heard the power plant thing, right? Where the power plant is using, is, is mining Bitcoin. Is this sort of related to that? Like you'd sell the excess gas to a gas fired power plant that's then mining Bitcoin? Or are you saying that the, the oil and gas producers, in, right? And themselves are somehow monetizing directly. Yeah. So it's, it's a bit different. Uh, the, uh, the upstate New York, uh, power plant that you're thinking of, they're on the grid and they're basically using the gas that isn't being sold to the grid in off-peak seasons to mine Bitcoin so they can keep their plant open. But during peak seasons when people need that energy, they're going to sell it to the grid and they'll shut down the miners. Uh, what I'm talking about is actually on the oil fields by the production uh, where you're not on the grid and so there's no there's no competition uh, with the grid for Bitcoin miners. And again, there's so many. No, I was just going to ask, like, how, how are they, um, how is like an EMP company, an oil and gas company um, processing the gas, the, the non-flared gas to actually generate the electricity to mine the Bitcoin? Like who's doing that for them? Do they, how does that, how does that that's, work? So that's where we come in. We are basically, we, we market ourselves as a flare mitigation service where we'll, so the big, big problem they have with the gas particularly is they can't transport it to cities it's too it's not economical to build the pipes and like you just alluded to there the gas isn't always clean enough to consume uh, at the uh, at the consumer level and so we show up and we basically say hey instead of building a pipe that's hundreds of miles long we'll build one that's a dozen feet long uh, we'll run it to this generator depending on the quality of the gas being produced at a certain well pad 
we'll we'll adjust our generator accordingly and then turn that on and plug binders into that. That's a great idea. Wow. I, I like that. That's smart. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. No, man. <laughs> I've heard of that. No, it makes me bullish on Bitcoin because then you get the oil companies having an aha moment and then they go to bat for Bitcoin. Um, exactly. That's look, that's the thing, right? I mean, it's not, it's not, you don't want to get, you can't, you, Bitcoin's for everybody, right? Like you say, you know, it's, it's, it's for anybody. It's not, we can't control like who gets involved or what. That's just not what it's about. So, you know, having a big tent isn't a bad thing. Like you said, I mean, if you, if you get right, it's, it's almost a way of lobbying without lobbying. Okay. If you, if you get people that have, are entrenched interests, realizing the economic value of Bitcoin to themselves, um, that creates a constituency of support, you know, which is one of those things where I just never really take seriously the whole, oh, they're just going to ban Bitcoin, right? Or they're going to just, you know, because it would be such a, such a stupid thing to do. It would be such a, it would be such a ridiculous, um, uh, it, would, it would wake up more people than it would, you know what I mean? Scare. Uh, you know, they, 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 it would just be the final F you to millennials, <laughs> right? Like the one right. thing that you found that you like that may have made you a little bit of money. Yeah, we're going to shut that down. You know what I mean? You stupid peasants. So yeah, no, that would be, uh, it would be interesting, right? Because like, just to see, I, I don't want it to happen because it, it would be, it would be really disruptive and ugly. But part of me is sort of just like, it'd be interesting if they tried, because I don't think it would work out right? The way uh, people think it would work out. Um, no, it would completely out. It would completely validate the whole value prop. And then, and then they're trying to push like the, they're trying to push like the, yeah, it would. And they're trying to push like the digital government coin on people and, and they don't understand that it does not compete at all. And they're, they're completely out of their depth. Yeah, I think this bill originally, I don't think they, it was in the final version, but I'm sure you saw it, the digital dollar they're talking about and all that. Like, it's like the Fed is going to run this digital dollar and be throwing money into your digital wallet that the Fed, I mean, whoa, like this is some dystopian stuff, right? Like you can keep your $1,200 check. I, I'll pass, <laughs> you know, if those are the strings attached though. Yeah, well, it seems like they, they scrape that for, instead of the Fed following you, the CDC is going to be able to track your metadata and and let people know if you've been vaccinated or not for this virus. I saw something like that. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, well, this is one of the things that also, I mean, I've seen a lot of people mention, there are two things. I know you didn't ask about this, but I think your listeners might find it interesting. I mean, I think what we need to be thinking about even beyond Bitcoin right here, um, because issues of, you know, being free, okay, which I know are very important to both of us, uh, extend beyond Bitcoin, of course, right? That's the monetary realm. Like there's all sorts of ways you can be more free. Um, Besides that, and, and, one of the, and two of the things that I think are going to come out of this coronavirus um, crisis when it's over is one, I think big cities are going to lose people, okay, um, in a big way. And it's not going to happen overnight, but over five or 10 years, okay? And so you know, I'm someone, right? I'm a New York City guy. I live in Colorado now. I live in a city of 100,000. Love it. Best choice I ever made in my life. Um, you know, and, but I think the sort of process that I went through, and I went through that in the last crisis. That's why I got out. I think a lot of people are going to come out of this just being like, uh, you know, particularly if they're young people that are like 32, maybe like, you know, first kid, second kids, like, wait a minute, like, what's the upside, right? When you have a little, when you have a little, when you have a baby, right, or a couple, you know, and you're living in New York City, you realize real quick that all the advantages of kind of living there go away fast. You know, you're not, you're not, you know, not staying out to the bar at 2 a.m. You're not going out to restaurants that much. 
much. It's just not that kid friendly of a situation. And so, you know, you're going to go, you're going to want to go. So I think that's one of the big things that are going to come out of this. And I think it's great, right? Because right now we do have this concentration in a lot of ways of capital as well as ability in the big cities. And I think that's really bad. That's centralization. Okay. So if, if we can get, and I encourage this, right, it's going to be bad for the big cities, you know, and I love, I'll love New York forever, right? It's, it's, it's where I grew up, but, and it's going to be bad for them, but it's going to be good for the country and it's going to be good for people. And I encourage it because if we can decentralize like pods of people all over, right? Like, like Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky, you know, like Akron, Ohio, whatever, like um, Buffalo, New York, right? You spread out talent and capital all over the place. That's good right? That, that builds a stronger country, builds stronger communities. So that's what I think is going to happen. Uh, I think the other, right, which is a trend that's already very much in place is unschooling homeschooling, okay? Because, because the school system, you know, I think you probably would agree, you know, it's, it's not there to, you know, teach. It's right. Go ahead. I was going to say, before you get into this, help me Give the, help me give the pitch to my wife. What pitch should I give my wife on this? I've been trying to incept this into her mind. Listen, well, this is going to be hard because, um, you know, my wife was pretty much on board. She's even more, you know, sort of like, uh, which I'm lucky, um, sort of counterculture than me. And I'm pretty, pretty, pretty out there. Uh, but I would say this first, first things first, we're reading this book right now. Get it, read it with your wife together, right? It's called Unschooled by Carrie McDonald. And what I really like about it, first of all, she's, she's a really good writer but she's doing it right now, right? Like, so she has little girl, you know, little kids and she's been doing it and is doing it and explains why the philosophy of it, all that stuff gives you a whole huge list of books to read. And so look, I mean, after that, all you have to do is like, you can't convince someone, right? To come to your position. What you have to do is show them stuff and let them come to it on their own. That's always what works. So I think you just say, hey, let's read this together and talk about it. Right. And, and discuss, but it's a great book. And, and, and I don't know if you know, are you familiar with the difference between unschooling and homeschooling? It might be worth uh, addressing real quick. No. Okay. Let's jump into so, that. Right. So unschooling is more radical than homeschooling. And it's, and it's the path that we're going to try to take. We'll, we'll see, you know, what happens. We're open to, to changing as things go. Right. Cause that's what it's about, but okay. So unschooling is no curriculum, like at all. It's, it's trusting that your children, you'll, you'll notice, um, what they're into, what their strengths are, what they want to be doing, and you encourage it. You know, so like with our older son, like he, he's been going through a ton of different phases. Planets, okay, you're into planets, boom, we're going to the museum, right? Here's 10 books on planets. Let's watch some videos on Saturn or whatever, right? And so he just, until he gets into something else and drops that, which is what happens. And then it's dinosaurs, boom, books on dinosaurs, right? So it's like, that's, that's what we're doing. It's not a set thing for us. It's not like, oh, at three years old, let's learn about planets. If they come to it, right? They, they do. They really, really do. And so that's unschooling. The idea is, it's called, the other uh, way of describing self-directed education. It's trusting your child to learn what, what they're into at the pace they're into. Whereas un homeschooling is sort of trying to recreate the classroom at home, right? Structure at home. Here, oh, you're second grade, this is the kind of math we're going to do. Oh, you need to read now. Or you... So unschooling is like, it's, 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 it's way more radical. <laughs> and it's scary, man. Like, trust me. Like, even for us. Like, yeah. It seems like the Montessori way a little bit, though. Yeah, yeah, it does. Except you're doing a lot of it sort of outside of, um, you're going to a place. Although, although a yeah. lot of unschoolers do um, also incorporate, right? Like, 
you know, resources that are local or even, you know, you, you know, it's, and, and I, and I, so I think what's gonna happen is you're gonna have stuff pop up, right? Like within communities that are catering to these families that are more into, inter, interested in trying to do these things. But I guess for me, one of the, one of the things, well, what, what Carrie McDonald really does is, is, um, is, is describe so much of the history of schooling, you know, and where it came from, the Pr Prussia, you know, the, the this indoctrination model. Um, you know, Horace Mann actually was a big guy with it. And, and the funny, the ironic thing, but I guess it makes sense, is he was big on bringing that sort of educational system to the United States, but then he didn't do it for his own kids. <laughs> Right? Like he taught his own kids. That's how it works, right? So, so, um, but it's, but it's a great, but it's a great book. And one of the things that really, really hit me, I mean, as being a parent of three now, I see it, right? Like the, she says in the book, she's like, okay, well, look at that. Look at all the things your kids learn to do without school, right? Without you doing anything, crawling, walking, talking. Those are big things, right? And your kids are doing that within a couple years with no formal education. And quite frankly, without you trying. So, so if they can do that, imagine what else they can do with the proper guidance on their own, right? And, and so that's what, uh, you know, I actually think the most revolutionary act I can do in this world is, is raise kids to be free critical thinkers. And that's what, I, that's what we want to do. No, I mean, you touched on it there. A lot of people don't know the history of schooling, the fact that it was uh, uh, basically exported from Prussia and it the system was created in Prussia so that people would just fall in the line and obey orders and basically become cogs in the machine. And I think that's very obvious that that has slowly happened over time here in America. Um, I, I, I always hated school and I always learned more outside of school than I did inside and just all by myself. And that, but it's hard to get people out of that. Like, Your kid needs to go to school. You're going to be socially ostracized. How are they going to, how are they going to socialize? And there's a ton of pushback in that regard. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, the thing, the thing is, you know, see, I was one of these guys that was really good at school, but I always knew it was BS, right? Like, I, I have a good memory, so I can memorize. That's pretty much all it is, you know, to get good grades. So I have a good memory, so I got good grades. I played the game, you know? Like, some, some people are just, and it, it's something to do with my disposition, but some, some people who I, who I know, you know, I've had a lot of friends like this who are brilliant, right? Like, brilliant people just like, but just in their soul, right? It was so soul crushing. Like I could play the game, you know, without it crushing my soul, but like, it's so soul crushing to them. They just fail out of school, you know, because, because they can't, they're smart enough to do it, but it's like, they can't, you know, it's sort of like, it's sort of like the, the realization that I came to in 2008. It's like, I was really good at Wall Street. You know, like I was, I was, I was like, my career was booming when I quit, um, but it crushed, it was crushing my soul at that point. And it was just like, I, I couldn't do it. Like no amount of money could make me stay. You, you couldn't give me any amount of money to go work on Wall Street, period. Um, and I think some people are like that with school. But then what happens to these kids, right? These kids are destroyed. You know, they, a lot of times they'll commit suicide or end up right with drug problems or whatever, because you're, you're not giving them any space to be who they are. You're basically saying, do this, do it right, or you're a failure. And it's really terrible. And, you know, I, I look back and I, if I was if I was unschooled in some way, I would be a completely different place right now. You know, I, I don't know what I'd be doing, but I'd probably be in like some foreign country, like studying like you know dolphins or something. You know what I mean? Like I I, <laughs> I think I would have I would have um, I wouldn't have gone to Wall Street. That's for sure. You know, but and so I want that's what I want. You know, what I want for my children is to be a guide. You know, that that's what how I view my role. It's not to tell them what's what is how to see the world, how to be. They are their own souls. They're, they, they're their own people. 
I'm here to like guide them in a, in, in a way that's I believe is ethical and right into, so that they can be the best people that they are. Not, not so that they can conform to what I believe is a completely twisted world. <laughs> yeah, and imagine the Renaissance that could be incited if, if more and more people uh, went down this path. Imagine the creativity that will be unleashed and the productivity that will be unleashed as well. I think, I mean, to stay on the positive tone, like this is, these are very positive things that could be enabled if more and more people awaken to the fact that this is, number one, possible, and two, probably beneficial. Right. So the, so the big sticking point here, and this is what and I, you know, I've written about this too and tweeted about it. And it's a big problem is that a lot of people would do it if they could. Okay. So we, we're now in a situation where, you know, like we live in a pretty affluent city. Okay. And it's been very common to see mothers, right? Cause again, we've had three have new babies and not want to go back to work, but have no choice. Okay. So we see this, you know, the myth that we've been told is that, oh, it's so great that both parents are working because everyone wants to be a cubicle slave, right? <laughs> Which is obviously not true, right? You, you know, women don't have a choice. Men don't either, okay? They don't, there is no choice. There's no choice to stay at home, right? You literally pretty much can't survive in, most, in a lot of cities, right, that way. You, you'd have to almost completely pick up and move to somewhere it's so really, really cheap, which again, I think is going to happen, right, um, to do it. But, but we do, but, but, but I think this is a key, another fundamental thing about our society that we need to question, which is why don't, why doesn't, why, do, why don't any parents have a choice? You know, why, why, are, why are we so economically indebted, right, or, or struggling on this hamster wheel that, that a parent, should they choose to stay home with their kids, it's, it's almost an impossible decision. So another question we need to be asking, because as you say, you know, let's say, let's say 10% uh, of the population would want to do that. We want to unschool. What percentage of them can actually do it, right? Without like being destitute. Uh, that's a problem. You know, wh why, why is that a problem? Because it stops the Renaissance you just mentioned, right? Prevents it. So, so again, this is another cog in the machine that keeps us down, okay? There's lots of them. You know, there's lots of them. And that's another one. We don't have communities that, that care for each other anymore. We don't have strong local areas. Um, there's so many things that we need to change, um, but we can do it, but you'll, we'll never do it unless we start asking the big questions, you know, which is what I, I know you do and what I'm doing, you know, so. Yeah, no, I think I wholeheartedly believe that sound money getting back to a sound monetary system is, is I think probably step one in enabling all that. You got to fix the money first before you can even enable the capital accumulation needed to, to, make that possible and uh, good no, saying yeah it's a, exactly so for example right now you need to you need to if you can save any money right the way the system's designed as you know is you have to then start chasing assets that go up right to to to, st to stay in the in the let's say socioeconomic spot you're at you know because in you're intentionally not able to just and then and then you can't focus on work Right. And then and then and then people that do actual work and make a bit of money um, lose out because they're not able to speculate in the same way. They're not able to leverage in the same way. And so their savings are constantly losing out. So that, that that's to your point. I mean, if we had if we had a way to save. Right. That was that would ha that held value and allowed you to save a nest egg and then actually do stuff with it without having to buy stocks on leverage. That's a sane society. 
nobody, right? Like how can people focus, right? A carpenter or like a plumber or anything. How can they like focus on their trade when they know that any money they get, they have to like, like somehow speculate on Apple with. It's crazy. No, it's insane. And then again, it, it leads to a decay of the family. Money stress is a, is a big stress. It leads to fighting and uh, the divorce rates at all time highs. And it's, again, it's tearing apart society. And that's why I do, I do have hope that the pendulum is starting to swing away from this type of thing. And thank God we have Bitcoin and people like you out there on the front lines trying to educate the rest of us about the possibilities and of, of a different world. Yeah. So one of the, you know, I mentioned it, but I do want to repeat it because I do think it's important. Okay. I think, you know, you probably have a lot of youngish listeners. Um, you probably have a lot in their thirties, young thirties, um, who are just starting families are thinking about it. One of the things that I really want to hit home with is please consider, particularly if you are in a big city that's expensive, consider moving out right? Because, because that will give you some degree of freedom. Like real estate prices are going to start dropping, right? They, they, they almost certainly will, unless they can totally prop this thing again up real quick. Even so, you're probably going to get an opportunity to get a home in a cheaper place for a decent price. So I would encourage people to like, look at, this is a big country and there's a lot of interesting places out there. And I would say, listen, consider doing that with you and your, your wife, your, your husband, your young family, because if you can take down your cost of living, okay. So for me moving from New York to, 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 to Colorado, I was able to cut my rent because at that time I was renting by like 70% by just making that move. Okay. And, and, you know, if you can do that and be financially okay, whether it's remote work or whatever you're doing, I mean, a lot of Bitcoiners can do that kind of stuff based on the sort of skill sets that they have. I would encourage doing it because the moment you take your cost of living down significantly, you're, there is freedom in that, right? There is freedom in potentially, oh, maybe one of us can stay home with the kids now, right? Or maybe I can grow a garden for part of that, whatever it is, right? There's freedom in not uh, chasing that carrot too much. You know, as someone who was on Wall Street, I always remember, and let me tell you, almost everybody thought this. Everybody was like, you know, who, who goes there in their 20s is like, oh, I'm going to retire by 35, right? I'm going to make so much money. I'm going to be retired by 35 or I'm going to be retired by 40. You know how many are? Zero, <laughs> right? Almost nobody, okay? So, so it's like winning the lottery, right? It's a, it's a dream. It's a, it's a fantasy. So I think people should stop if to the, to the degree that you are caught up in that fantasy, probably don't think about the world that way. And it's also that, that sort of mindset also encourages you to do, live life in a way that you don't want to be living because you're chasing a carrot. You know, you should be, you should be trying to make, if you're in your thirties, I mean, you should be trying to make, you know, your life and your young family's life as like joy filled and productive, but, but healthy as possible. You know, the, the, the carrot of like making $50 million and retiring, like, okay. I mean, it's like, it's like one out of a million. Okay. It's not going to be you. And then you're going to be chasing that carrot to wake up one day and realize, holy fuck, I missed out on everything. Exactly. 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 Like, like I look at it, like, I mean, I'm probably never going to retire, you know, because I'm just doing life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like that's, that, look, I get it. Not everyone can do that, but I'm saying like, that should be the goal. That should be the goal. Right. The goal shouldn't be like, okay, you know, $50 million and you're going to retire at 50. And then what are you going to do? Golf all day. I mean, that, that literally sounds like torture to me. No, this is, 
as I, I can speak from experience, we are moving out of New York as soon as our lease is up later this year to a smaller town with less expenses. No, I mean, I'm from Philadelphia. We're going to be back to the Philadelphia area. Um, that's where, that's where my parents are. My wife's parents are, we've got big extended families. So it's, um, then you get that whole support network and that also can help you get freed up to do stuff too. You know, if your parents can help out, if her parents can help out. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, I've been away from Philly for geez, like 13 years now. It's just, it's just time. It feels like I've been away from home for this whole time and I'm getting sick in New York. Like you mentioned, I don't go to the bars till 2am anymore. Now that we have a child, we're not going out to dinner every night and the rent is exor. Yeah. There's a lot of upside if you're in your like twenties. Right. But then it's like, the, the, the value goes down fast. Yeah. I mean, I had a lot of fun in New York, met a lot of great people. That's one of the best, one of the things I'm going to miss most is the, the uh, access to intellectual capital that you have. But as we're seeing now with this quarantine, we can just zoom call people now. So I'm, I'm not going to miss it that much. Um, but I did, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly. There's a lot of people on the wheel, particularly in New York city and they wake up and they're 35 some of them have not had children yet. And they're like, what the hell am I doing? Like, well, it's interesting, right? Like, like you, what you said, I had this epiphany when I was, so I left wall street when I was, uh, I was 10 years there. So I was about 31, 32. That's when I quit. Um, I looked at my future, right? I said, okay, if I stay here, I will be, I will be successful. I will make a lot of money. And then I'm going to be in Connecticut at a country club wanting to blow my brains out. <laughs> You know, and I was like, nah. <laughs> so I was like, so, so, because part of that too, you know, would be, you know, it's just the way it works, right? I mean, the sorts of people that I would meet, maybe the sort of person that I would end up marrying would have certain expectations of me that I wouldn't necessarily want to fulfill because I don't want that. Okay. So it was much better for me to move to Colorado and then meet my wife later when I wasn't right. When she wasn't marrying me for my money, you know what I mean? Like I was living in like a, not a great apartment in Colorado with no real job. You know what I mean? So, so that was, that was, that was a good situation, you know? So it was like, I met the person that wanted, you know, to be with me for me and also wanted to live a life like I want to live, which is not being in a suburb of New York at a country club. <laughs> yeah. It's a fight club quote. You're living paycheck to paycheck to buy things you don't like to impress people, to buy things you don't need to impress people you don't like. Um, yeah, seriously. Yeah. No, I, I think I lucked out in that department too, as well. Thank God. Um, it's the most important, uh, it's the most important decision you'll ever make. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, no, it's been, a. it's been, a a great journey so far. We've been married for shit almost three years now. Child, a uh, child, a month into life with a child. It's going good. I recommend you freaks get married out there. It's uh, a lot of, I got married young. I got married at 25 and people were making fun of me, but I'm very happy I did. Right. It's, it's the thing, the thing with that, it's, it's so variable based on the person and circumstances. You know, like for me, I didn't, I didn't have, we didn't have our first kid till I was 37. Okay. But that's not because I wouldn't have had a kid earlier. It's just, you, you gotta have the right situation, right? The right circumstance, the right person. Yeah. Don't, I mean, if they're, if the right person's there and you feel like it's the right time, you go for that. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're, you're that's, you know, for me, I would have been a bad dad at 20. I mean, I mean, I would have been a bad dad in my twenties. I know that for sure. Cause I was, I was ego, I was an egomaniac obsessed with myself and my career. You know, it, it took, 
it took, uh, like I said, it took that financial crisis to sort of shake me out of my, you know, bullshit existence. Um, you know, yeah. and, and, then, and then I was ready, right? But, but, but yeah, I mean, I have, I, you know, I have friends that also, you know, had their first kid 26 and uh, married with several kids and it was perfect for them. It's, it's like, there's no, people love to say like, oh, you know, you should wait or you should early. Listen, do, do what's right. We're all different. Do what's right for you. There's no like, there's no freaking secret formula to this stuff. Like stop pretending that there is. No, the secret formula is that you'll know when it's there and just strike while the iron's hot. And and nah, I guess nah, this has been a much more positive podcast than I, I was expecting. I thought we were gonna get doom and gloom on the uh, on the uh, this bill that's getting passed and the constriction of powers. But if you really take a step back, take a thousand foot view, uh, where we are at this given point in time in history is actually pretty incredible, and there's a lot of opportunity that lays before us. Yeah, and I and I, I'm gonna even be more optimistic. Okay. I, I tweeted this out the other day, right? Like, so I do think 2010 to 2020 was total bullshit, right? Like, compl- like basically some innovations, but for the most part, it was a joke, right? It was a bubble, total bubble. Like, I do think once we get past this period, my prediction, right? And we'll see if it's right, is that probably really starting more towards the latter half of this decade, but I think we're going to see true innovation, like, like in maybe energy and healthcare and in things that will allow us even agriculture, things that will allow us to free ourselves, you know, 3D printing, right? Or things like that, right? And, um, you know, and I'm saying like innovation at the level of internet, right? At the level of railroads, at the level of automobile, right? Like the stuff sort of that we're waiting, we're just like, okay, like, are we really going to just have bubble after bubble? Or are we going to actually like change this world? Are we going to innovate? I think it's coming, right? I think this crisis is going to be a spark for a lot of people. But I think we're going to see, we're going to have an age of inventors. I think that's coming, right? The age of invention, I think, is coming um, after this, we get through this period. Um, and so, yeah, look, my message is this. We all have different circumstances. We all have different capital. We all have different uh, abilities, um, whatever it is. My message is this. I don't have, I don't have, there's no one size fits all, right? Like, I don't have the answers for everybody. I just have the, uh, what I think are answers for me. But I do want everyone listening to this to think as deeply as possible about where they are in life, what's important, and how, how can they change their world in a positive way, right? The easy one is just saying like, hey, I'm going to just have a different attitude, right? Because if you have a different attitude, have you ever, you've met those people, right, where you're out and about, and they just have a thing to them, right? Like, they're just so positive and nice. It makes you, like, happier, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Be yeah. that person. I'm not saying I am. I'm just saying like, you can do that, right? You can do that. No, attitude's huge. Attitude's huge. And that's actually, when I went through a pretty extended bout of unemployment uh, around like 25, 26, I actually got married when I was unemployed, which is crazy. That's how you know your wife's really ride or die. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I had like a moment where I had a bad attitude or a stretch where I had a bad attitude and really... Uh, had to change that and changing that led me to writing the newsletter to starting this podcast. And it's just had ripple effects that have, have paid off for the better in the long term. Exactly. And, and, and one of the things I, I want to say too, is like, know your skills, right? Know your skill set. We're all different. We all, we all have different, everyone has something that they're better than someone else at. And so, you know, do that, you know, figure that out. And um, yeah. And, and the key thing is, is, is if you can't, the world is not going to just change magically, 
Okay, politicians are not going to change the world for the better. The only thing that's going to change this world for the better is if enough people change. And you can do that. You can totally do that. Everyone can do that. Okay, it just takes a little bit of courage, takes a little bit of thought. Um, but the but but the key thing is, and I really do believe in this. Um, you what you put out there is going to come back to you. Right? It's just like the idea of karma. And it's it's as simple as when someone is extra nice or or, or kind that you meet you're just like, it, it hits you, right? And you almost wanna be extra kind to the next person you meet. And so that's it, just, just try to put out, um, it doesn't, and that doesn't mean just saying everything's rosy when it's not. What it means is putting out energy um, from yourself that's, that's, that's good energy, you know, that's positive energy. Not, not trying to think of every situation of like, how can I take, how can I win? But thinking of like, how can this be a win-win? You know, how, how, how can both of us, right? As being married, you know, <laughs> you, you better do that. <laughs> right. How can we uplift each other? And, and, and I'm very happy you said it. it's a collect, a collection of individual actions. That's how we get through this mess. It's not pointing to the FDA or the federal government saying, fix this. Right. Elect uh, good people is like the worst slogan ever, right? Elect good people. <laughs> I mean, good people, first of all, don't want to be elected. Second of all, it's a savior mentality, right? It's, it's looking for a savior. You're, you're no, no, no freaking white knights coming for you. Okay. You are the white knight. And if you're not, you're in trouble. Right. I mean, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh again, attitude and mentality. It's huge. Michael, thank you for your time. Thank you for all you've done for the last decade. Again, really helped help me develop a worldview and a perspective. And uh, again, a uh, big inspiration for why I write and, and do this podcast. So I, I, I owe you a debt of gratitude, I believe, I feel. And I can't wait till we're able to meet in person finally, either later this year in New York before I move, or I actually, my sister lives in Colorado, so I may be out there um, at some point as well. All right. Yeah, very nice. Well, we'll have a beer or whiskey outside of the pandemic. Uh, we'll, 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 <laughs> yeah, thanks for all that you do as well. Like I said, I mean, uh, we just need a lot of, a lot of people like us out there more and, and just doing, doing our thing and inspiring others to do their thing because, you know, I don't want the burden. You don't want the burden of like being like answers for everybody. No, no, that's not what we're about. Right. We're, we're about inspiring. We're about, we're about getting everybody empowered. Okay. And so, yeah, thanks for all your work. You, you, you put a lot of time and effort into everything you do, like way more, well, actually more than I do. You know, I'm, I don't write as much as I used to, but um, I got, I got a lot of, a little, little tribe to worry about every day. <laughs> Oh, that's, um, I'm, I'm discovering that it is getting harder to write, uh, as, as well. Um, where can we find out more about you? Oh, thanks. Yeah. So I tweet a lot. I do most of my stuff on Twitter now. So it's at Liberty Blitz. Um, if you want to follow me, um, and then I write at Liberty Um, once a week really is what I do now. I do thought pieces and, and I try to make them like really good and thoughtful things, but just once a week without, you know, I don't want clickbait, none of that. I used to do that, which I realized was not good for me or anyone else. Um, and so, uh, yeah, Liberty Blitz Creek at Liberty Blitz on Twitter. Uh, if you like what I do, you know, you can, you can donate. I don't do advertisements. Everything's donations and I do accept Bitcoin donations. I've always accepted them. Um, so, but if either way, just check out my stuff if you're interested. Thanks. Awesome. Michael, thank you again. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Peace and love, freaks.